Welcome in, everybody. Pete Forsey, that's me. The show is the podcast. Last time I had your ears, Tom Brady was still retired. It's been a bit, and there's been a bit of news since we last got together. And my, oh my, the NFL will not slow down. It's the new age of general manager and how teams operate. It's much like society. It's impatient, it's fast, it's get it now, pay later, deal with the consequences down the road. And that is fun. It is fun for us. It is fun for teams. You see more teams going all in, quote unquote. But I don't know if it's exactly a good thing for long-term health of the league and just the franchises. We'll get into that a little bit. Tom Brady, I'm not going to get into that. Guy came back, usually he's a calculated guy. He was not with this decision, said, hey, I'm coming back. I want to play some more ball. I'm an MVP type of player. Still got a lot to prove, even at age 45. He's going to be 45 come August 3rd. That is nuts. We're witnessing the greatest uh, accomplishment in team sports history ever by an individual? I think so. I think so. I've been saying it for, I don't know, eight years. Eight years. It wasn't until the Atlanta Super Bowl the guy actually started getting the credit he deserved. Yeah, a lot of people always threw up qualifiers with him. Can't anymore. He's about to start and play at an MVP level at age 45. Book it. Let's get to it. We got sports to talk about. It's the podcast episode 79. Of course, Albert Pujols is batting leadoff. He'll likely bat fifth. Maybe 7th, 8th, he'll obviously have a lot of pinch-hitting duties. For the St. Louis Cardinals, El Hombre is back. Uh, Albert saw him in the red number 5 jersey as he walked into uh, Jupiter, Florida. Uh, to the Cardinals fans, it was it was great. It was pageantry, as I put it on Twitter. It's going to be awesome for the ballpark, awesome for the fans. $2.5 million, uh, that's obviously good for a bench bat. He's going to hit against left-handed pitching. You know... You can never have too much of a great thing. The Cardinals already are excellent against left-handed pitchers as as a lineup. Um, they they have Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, even Tommy Edmond. They they all hit left-handed pitching well. So I didn't see this as really a great baseball move. It's not a bad baseball move. Um, I do have concerns. You know, I'm more pessimistic. That's typically how I am with the Cardinals just overall. They typically prove me wrong. So, you know, maybe I'm a, a, a good luck charm for them. But for Albert, I, I don't know why we didn't get more of an explanation. I watched the press conference today as he spoke to the media. The media kind of were throwing him softball questions. I was hoping for some tougher ones. And one of the ones that I wanted or something along the lines uh, of something to mow or to DeWitt and, you know, just asking, what the hell changed here? All offseason, we asked you guys about this. We asked you guys about it since he got cut by the Angels last year. And the whole time you talked about how you're blocking young players, Juan Yepes, uh Brandon Donovan, even Lars Newbar, And then all of a sudden, you, it just comes out of nowhere. Now, I am always talking about right place, right price, right time, right name. Maybe it's as simple as that, but at least ask the question because Pools is out there. I mean, I, I don't know how it could be simply, you know, hey, we finally got to the right number. The guy didn't have any other suitors. <laughs> they, like, it wasn't going to happen. He needed a spot to where, hey, I exclusively hit against left-handed pitching, a team that obviously is going to compete for a championship. He had his certain criteria, and he's only really useful in certain situations. So it really was like the Cardinals and, you know, nobody else. Like, he's not going to go hit for the Rockies. 
He's not going to play for uh, the Rays, I don't think, just because, again, they might cut him loose after a week. He wants to know, I'm going to be somewhere for the duration of the year, at least high chance that I'll be there for the duration of the year. I wanted more from the media. I know they only got a couple, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but it was just kind of, you know, just lay up softball questions. Like, come on. Like, let's get a little bit deeper here with this. Overall, I'm happy about it. It's going to be fun. I don't think it's really going to provide, you know, too much on the baseball side of things. Like, there's he's 21 away from 700. He's not getting there. This is his last season. He's not hitting 21 home runs. He got, like, 100 plate appearances last year. What, he's going to homer every fifth at bat? Yeah, right. Especially when it's in a pinch hitting situation. Like, that is the more underrated aspect, and it's going to be going away. We're going to see less of it now that the DH is is available. Pinch hitting is hard. You have to come off cold off the bench into a pressure-packed at-bat, and you're expected to produce. Like, when you pinch hit, it's not like, you know, I mean, sometimes with the pitcher spot, but usually you got men on base. Usually it's against a really good reliever, and the score is tied or it's a one-run game. You're expected to drive in a run or get into scoring position. It's fucking hard. And Albert's going to be faced with those at-bats. I don't know how many homers we're going to get. Uh, once he does get on base, he's a bases clogger. This really strictly was, I think, DeWitt stepping in and saying, hey, he's still out there. I mean, Mazalok, I-, I don't think he hates the move, but I think he does say, man, this uh, this really does kind of handcuff me and getting my roster. Because they're, they're not cutting him. There's no, I don't care if he bats 100, there's no way they're going to do that to him. He's on the roster, no matter how bad he is. I, I do not even see them approaching Albert like a uh, Alex Rodriguez, Brian Cashman thing, where Cashman, you know, set Rodriguez aside or took him aside and said, hey, look, th- this has to end. This was during the 2016 season. So, you know, the Cardinals, it, it's going to be fun. You know, with the revenues expected to soar now that we're kind of past the whole COVID wave with baseball, I think DeWitt just saw it as an opportunity. And, you know, again, it's fun. Some of these things, you should just look past the whole dynamics of your team. But, you know, it's hard not to look at it nowadays when you see, like, the Cardinals were good against left-handed pitching. Uh, we're good against uh, – or we're, we're good as far as right-handed hitters. You just kind of added what you already have. And, you know, look, strength and strength. I guess it's not a horrible idea, but – Overall, I'm not loving it. I am loving that Albert's back. It's going to be a fun 2022 season. I am going to whip through some NFL transactions uh, that have been going on in the past uh, 10 days or so. Just quick reactions to it. You've heard a lot of people talk about it. I'll give you my take. I'll start with Deshaun. I was listening to another guy who put it well. The Cleveland Browns, they're General manager and head coach Stefanski and Andrew Barry, they had to uh, decline or they at least, you know, were absent from some Cleveland Hall of Fame outing, uh, you know, Cleveland Football Hall of Fame. It's just like very specific to the city, but they were going to be two guys that showed up, you know, almost like, a, you know, a panel type of deal where, you know, just the locals get to interact and, and shake hands with those types of guys. So it was something that was big for the city. After they acquired Deshaun Watson, they declined to go. And that tells you everything you need to know about this transaction. In addition, moreover, 
they didn't put out a statement until two days after because they had to, you know, survey the scene and read the public and how they were kind of digesting the idea that they just traded for Watson, who's got 22 civil lawsuits against them. When you have to do that, doesn't that kind of tell you everything you need to know? Like, maybe you should not have done this. Look, trading for him would be one thing and then saying, hey, He's not going to play quite yet. We still have to check this out. We're not entirely sure what went on right here. For now, he's going to sit the bench, but we just wanted to have this guy on deck in case, you know, this all is just kind of, uh, you know, window dressing or, you know, all this is false. You know, these women are lying. I would have been okay with that and be like, hey, we're just getting the asset. We're giving up the trade capital, but he's not playing. Or even, you know, we're just going to wait this out. But then you hand him over the contract and you blow past the guarantees. It's mind-boggling. I wouldn't have done it. I, I think it's a huge risk that, frankly, like, why'd you even have to go there? I, I don't think you had to go to those lengths. And if you have to go to those lengths, one, the player isn't even worth that much. If you look at his last year with the Texans, they won four games. The Texans, the next year without him, won four games. And then also he might have assaulted 22 different women or sexually abused or whatever, even if it was just four, even if it's just one. It's unacceptable. He should be in jail. So I don't get it from Cleveland's perspective. And staying in the AFC with the Colts, they are just the complete radically other side of things. They are just shrewd. They are smart. They are prudent. They dump Carson Wentz, which if you are the commanders, how dumb do you feel? You thought you were being smart by being early, getting Carson Wentz, trading two third-round picks for him. That might turn into a second round, and you didn't even stop to think that the Colts are dumping this guy for a reason. Look, he's not awful. He has upgraded the quarterback room in Washington. He threw 27 touchdowns, but guess what? They got rid of him as soon as they could. And you thought you were being smart by being early, and then they turn around, the Indianapolis Colts get Matty Ice, who I really like the outlook with him. I think he's going to be rejuvenated. He is still playing some good ball. Uh, He's smart. And I think him and Frank Reich, where he's just going to have a a very hungry team who obviously had a devastating loss to end the season, I, I have them coming out of the gate hot, and I have him playing some of his best ball. He's got a great running game. Great run game offensive line. It's almost going to be like John Elway in the twilight of his career. And they got him for, what, one draft pick? I think, it was, yeah, it was a third-round pick. They took one of the thirds, sent it to Atlanta. Matty Ice and the Colts, I love it. That's been maybe my favorite offseason move of the year so far. And Devontae Adams, the Raiders. Look, I'm not into this price of uh, paying what, the Raiders and the Dolphins did for Tyreek. We'll get to Tyreek here in a minute. But, you know, the Raiders, I do have to give them a hat tip. They're going for it. In a division where it's going to be a bloodbath, Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos now have Russell, they're saying, fuck it. I don't give a shit. We're not doing some, you know, scale back or step back, rebuild, whatever the fuck you want to call it. They're saying, no, we're going to go for it. We're going to get Chandler Jones. We're going to trade uh, Ngakwe. We're going to get Devontae Adams, and we're going to fucking go for it. Because that's what we do. That's where we're from. We don't just, you know, sit on seasons. We're from New England. We go out and win. And, you know, Josh McDaniels handling himself very well so far. He's got to get some W's on the field. Ziegler, though, both John Carroll guys, like, they're, they're pals. There, there's a connection there. 
And I know, like, there's a big thing in the NFL today, like, oh, you know, like, they should hire the best qualified candidate. This guy has three years working for the Eagles and has been a scout for... Anytime you're working with someone that you know and you trust, you're going to be on the same page and that's going to lead to the desired results that you want, which is the biggest thing ever. You can be very good at your job scouting, uh, coordinating a uh, scouting department as a general manager, incorporating analytics. It's all about, do you have someone in the head coaching chair, in the general manager chair, where it's aligned, where it's the same. And they have that in Vegas and you know, I, I don't like the move necessarily. I don't like the price tag, but I do, you know, just love the fact that they're saying, fuck it, we're going for it. We're going to win games in the AFC West in 2022. On the other side, Green Bay, I mean, you just got significantly worse at wide receiver. I'm not sure how you couldn't work out an extension. I guess the bridge was just burnt. Devontae said, look, I'm, I'm out. Like, I don't want to deal with you guys anymore. But it's a very, very, very curious move by Green Bay. They got Rodgers back, and then all of a sudden they just take away his basically only weapon. We saw it in the game, the NFC Championship game, where it's like the only option was Devontae. Nothing else was there. So it doesn't make much sense. And then finally, Tyreek. I don't like the move. And I'm a guy that's usually, when you pay your quarterback $40 million a year, he's got to be the one that you know makes wine out of water. You can't always have the Tyreek Hills because your cap space is taking up too much. They had the cap space though. They could have made it work. And I eventually would have liked to see this move. I think it's two, perhaps three years too early. And I have no idea what went on in the negotiating room. They voluntarily, the Chiefs, from everything that I have been hearing and reading, they voluntarily opened up negotiations about giving him a raise. He was already under contract. And then Devontae gets traded, and you see the numbers that, like, the Jaguars and all these receivers and free agency, what they're getting, just exorbitant amount of money, amount of dollars. And Tyree said, okay, well, here are my numbers in the past two, three years or over my career. I need to be paid, like, the highest and best paid receiver in the NFL. And I'm sure the Chiefs are kind of like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. We voluntarily said we're going to give you a raise. We're renegotiating. You have a very checkered pass, and we've stood by you from the moment we drafted you and selected you and gave you a job. And then, you know, the shit that happened three years later, like you're you're not getting paid as the highest paid receiver. You're going to give us a discount. We'll give you more money. And I think that's fair enough, Mr. Hill. But, okay, you know, if, if that's what you want, then go ahead and seek a trade. The package was light. I don't like it. I like the move. It's just two or three years early. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do with those picks. You know, I think Brett Veach has been a very solid drafter. I think maybe he gets a, a little more credit than what he ought to. I mean, look, he's not bad. But let's not act like, you know, he's the Ravens or, uh, or the Seahawks of their early years. He, he's going to have to hit on these because – Overall, they, they got worse. That's a home run hitter. That's always a threat. Those are two defenders on the field that are always looking at number 10 in red. And all of a sudden, you know, that that's just gone now. So I will say, you know, Patrick Mahomes, a lot on your shoulders now. There's already a lot on your shoulders. And, and we'll see what he does as far as kind of uh, coordinating the offense and everything running through him. 
One guy that's still out there is Jimmy Garoppolo. You know where I stand. Keep him. He's the better player. Yeah, he costs $28.5 million. Trey Lance, like, what is he worth on the field? If you had to put a price tag next to it, I would put $0. You are, you are playing an unplayable player in Trey Lance. Everybody keeps talking about how his contract is so valuable. You can free up the cap by ditching Garoppolo and giving that money elsewhere. Trey Lance is not good enough to, to start games in the NFL. He's just not. And I know he has to play to get better. He is so sped up on the field. I watched the Arizona game, and I watched the other games that he played and that he started when Garoppolo missed time. He's not fucking ready. It's way too fast for him. He cannot slow the game down because X's and O's wise, he has no idea what's going on. And I love the guy. I love what he's doing and saying. He's doing all the right things. He's not a Baker Mayfield. It's very Jordan Love, a guy who is in a similar situation, obviously. I just don't think you can play him right now. And especially after you're the 49ers, you just went to the NFC Championship game. You're going to get rid of the quarterback? Guys, this just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's okay that you drafted him and you're not going to take advantage of the rookie contract. I know the analytical world and all the, the brain contract people out there are obsessed with this shit. The bottom line is winning games. Garoppolo gives you a significantly better chance than Trey Lance. If they cut him without getting anything in return, which Lynch, John Lynch, the general manager said, they are unlikely to do. He's too good of a player. If nobody if nobody bites, if there's no like significant injury to like a starter, they that could very well happen because his shoulder's obviously hurt. His shoulder's going to be fine. Nobody just wants to uh, trade for him if they don't know how his shoulder actually is since he's recuperating from surgery and their doctors can't get their hands on him. So I get the teams that haven't pulled the trigger yet to trade for him, why they haven't done that. But if he comes back and he's cut like right before day one of the season when his contract will be fully guaranteed, absolute failure from John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. I, I, honestly, again, they need to keep him. He's the best option for this team right now. And putting Trey Lance in there, I, I, I'll guarantee you, if he has to start the entire season, they're not winning more than, than five football games in 2022. So I read the Jaguars Urban Meyer piece on The Athletic about what Urban Meyer did in meetings and in practice with Jaguars players before he was fired. Nothing new on that end. Guy's an idiot. Never thought he would work out in the NFL. Said it, I don't know, last August, even before preseason games, or as preseason games were going on. And, and nothing surprising there. But it did get me thinking, because I was thinking about the Jaguars and what's going on there. How great of an offseason they're having. It's really quiet. It's really low-key. It's really under the radar. And I don't think enough people are talking about how Trevor Lawrence, who he didn't put the greatest tape out there, neither did, you know, Peyton Manning. <laughs> he is now with a very successful, very uh, decorative, not, not only as a head coach, but as a coordinator and where he comes from the coaching tree in Doug Peterson, this is going to be a potentially home run pairing right out of the gate. I'm not predicting Super Bowl. I am predicting some significant improvement. You know, they, they spent a lot of money and they overpaid, but they had the cap space. They had the most cap space in the NFL or they were second. And they overpaid for Christian Kirk. 
I like the players, certainly not at that price tag. It improves them, though, and I like Zay Jones. I think Engram has always been a good player as well. Really should be used more as a receiver, and I think that's what they're going to do. And they got a good guard. They tagged Cam Robinson, who's an okay tackle, but being okay in the NFL is a big deal because there's a lot of bad offensive linemen, particularly left tackle. So, overall, on offense, brought back uh, Treadwell, former first-round pick, who's okay. I think the Jaguars are in a good spot. And you throw in the fact that their division, the Texans, who knows how good they're going to be again. They're starting Davis Mills. They don't seem to be too eager to you know, expedite their, uh, their building philosophy. And then you have the Colts and then you have the Titans who we, we know is very good, but you know, they, they lost some key players and they're tied up against the cap and you know, their roster was very top heavy to begin with last year. They were just a couple injuries away from having the floor give out. So it's a wide open division is what I'm saying. And the Jacks, you know, look, they're, they're getting better and quite as good. Anytime you're making a whole lot of noise, whether it's with your wallets, whether it's on your Twitter accounts as players, whether it's for off-the-field criminal accusations or charges, that's never good. Almost always. Very few people win the press conference and actually go on to win the most games and win the Super Bowl. I love that it's quiet in Jacksonville. I think really there needs to be more Uh, spoken as far as Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is the prospect that we think he is, and he's going to be very, very good. I think he's incapable of being bad. He's almost incapable of being average. He's going to be a good player at minimum. He's going to be an elite player at most. I still think he fully can be that, and I think once you have a grown-up in the room, which is exactly what Doug Peterson is, he has been learning from Andy Reid for years, and he played under Mike Holmgren and with Brett Favre. The guy knows fucking offense. He knows football. Trevor Lawrence, I think, maybe, just maybe, might be in the running for, you know, top five quarterback, maybe even getting some MVP votes. I'm not saying he's going to get MVP award. MVP votes, though, definitely could see it now that he's with Peterson. I want to flip it back over to the baseball side of things. Aaron Judge, New York Yankees. They're going to be going to arbitration if you're unfamiliar with the process. Each side, judge and his agent and the Yankees, when you're in arbitration and you're trying to agree on a contract number to pay Aaron Judge, you file at one number. Judge and his camp said $17 million. The Yankees, they filed at 21 And now they still can come to an agreement, meet somewhere in the middle or higher or lower, whatever. But an arbiter might say, uh, it's either going to be 17 or 21 million Aaron Judge. So we're, we're leading to a very objective uh, experience here with the Yankees and Aaron Judge, and it has not turned out well for any other Yankees. Dellen Batances in 2017, it was aired out in the public, and it was bad. It was nasty. Dellen Batances knew at that point, I'm not returning to the Yankees anymore. This is my last season. Or 2018 is going to be my last season. Whatever it was, because he had a couple more years left uh, under the rights of New York. He didn't return. Because he doesn't want to do business with those guys. Derek Jeter was the same thing for him back in the day. However, there wasn't Twitter. There weren't videos. uh, There wasn't iPhones. You know, people just didn't know about it. But it was pretty ugly from everything that I'm hearing from the NY Post and Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Guys that covered those teams. And now here we are with Aaron Judge. 
I'm not too worried about it. I really am not. I think this is a situation it comes down to the wire because deadlines create urgency, as we saw in the CBA negotiations. I think Aaron Judge, I think he gets six years, $210 million. When this guy plays, he's like Bryce Harper. When he plays, superstar. There's no, like, you know, ebbs and flows on his numbers. He fucking ricks. And he plays good defense. The issue is, is when he's hurt, even if it's just slightly dinged up, he's not an Albert Pulos. He's not a Miggy Cabrera. He's not a Mike Trout. Those are the guys that when they're hurt, they can maintain their performance or it's just slightly below. And those are the Rushmore Hall of Famers. It's why Albert, even if he doesn't get 700, guy's a Rushmore Hall of Famer, greatest right-handed hitter of all time. Um, Aaron Judge, he's not like that though. So that's where you got to kind of, you know, it is tricky with the Yankees. And I think that's where ultimately it's going to be six years, about $210 million for Aaron Judge. And I, I think they want him as a Yankee. They love the guy. You know, the whole vaccinated thing, he was getting pressed by that from the media as far as like, hey, are you vaccinated? Are you going to be able to play in Toronto? Are you going to be able to play in New York? This was before NYC changed its like mandates. Guy tiptoed around it. Uh, like a ballerina, it was it was great. He's, he's great at the microphone. He does exactly what you want. He's a leader, plays hard, plays every day when he's healthy, uh, and he plays at a high level each and every time. They want to sign him up, but if you're Aaron Judge and you think, like, I deserve seven, eight-year contract, that might be the breaking point, and that's where they may have you play out the entire season April 7th on, and then you'll be able to test free agency, and then obviously it's more of an open open deal and there's no guarantee you'll be a Yankee for the rest of your career. I don't think it gets there though. I think that he'll agree to six years. I think the Yankees are definitely willing to go to six years, even though they prefer five Aaron judge Yankees, the contract situation. It's not great. I'm not worried yet though. Talk to me in a week though. If it's still not done. I'm kind of zigzagging around this show. I want to talk about Carlos Correa, Minnesota twins. That was something that, Hit us all when we woke up last Saturday morning. It was like, holy smokes, the Twins? Obviously, they have the need. You don't think they're going to make that financial commitment. And then you see it, and it's $103 million over three years. Opt-outs after one and two, and then obviously the third year, he would be a, p- a potential free agent as well. But it's one of those just low-risk, high-reward moves for the Twins. And every other team, like the Cardinals included, literally every team, I think – Outside of maybe like two or three. But even then, you could just shuffle a guy over to another position. Every team should be willing to sign up for this. Because if he kicks ass and is Carlos Correa, he's just going to opt out and try and get more money. He's got the highest average annual value for an infielder ever, $35.1 million. So he'll essentially be on a one-year deal and you'll only reap the full benefits. Or if he's not that good, you know, you get a okay player, which again, I I don't think Carlos Correa is going to stink up the joint. He he never has, except for the years where he's like having a leg injury. He's playing on one leg, essentially. Still took the Astros to the playoffs. Uh, You you got a guy that's had major postseason history as far as at-bats and performing at a high level. And the Twins, if he's very good and their team stinks, they can just trade him. And then you get draft capital back. And I mean, there's just no lose situation for Minnesota, which Minnesota, 
I always remember that Minneapolis, I took one of those personality tests on the internet uh, when I was, uh, I think I was 18 at the time. And it said, where should you live based off, you know, who you are and, and how you think. And I asked or answered every question, honestly, and it said Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I always kind of have a feather in my cap for that one because Minnesota nice. The, the internet thinks I'm nice. But then again, it was 10 years ago. But with Correa, this is just a move that, one, you don't see coming based off the team and the, the financial commitment. But then the way they structured it, you're just like, holy shit, if, you know, if I knew the rules were like this, Boris, Scott Boris, you're the, the, the agent for Correa, everybody would have made that deal. Like the Mariners would have made that deal. I'm watching spring training, Rangers, and Mariners right now who got Jesse Winker. He's up at the plate right now. He's going to be comeback player of the year, even though, I mean, he had a solid season. I think he's underrated. I think he might be if you're a fantasy guy. He'll be a guy to watch out for. I think he's going to be phenomenal. I can't believe that ultimately these were the terms. I mean, every team would sign up for this. Carlos Correa is a twin. I love what the twins are doing. Overall, Thad Levine, uh, Derek Falvey, guys that have come from high-level organizations, they don't seem to be getting... uh, Big ticket jobs like the Mets didn't even inquire about him. Um, the Phillies didn't inquire about him last year. They seem content in Minnesota and kind of just like living in that division and understanding that, hey, we got a good thing going here. We got the White Sox who kind of always, you know, they, they have some traction, but then they sell out for a couple of years and then they have to tear it down to the studs. You got the Royals who are limited, Guardians who are limited, Tigers. They're not in good shape right now. You got an owner that will spend in Chris Ilch. Overall, you know, wide open division. So why would we just leave for, you know, a job with the Mets in the NL East and in Philly where it's just, you know, it's always an arms race. So I think I really, really believe that these two guys need to be put up amongst the best in general manager president of ops, executives in baseball, Thad Levine, Derek Falvey. They got Sonny Gray. They got Gio Ursula, Gary Sanchez. They're just making moves, man. And I think they can definitely compete for the division. I don't think they got enough horsepower for 162, but certainly they can be a threat for a wild card spot. And getting Correa, if he plays 162 or even 155, this is just going to be one of the best and shrewdest, smartest signings in free agency history. Tell your friends, share, review, five-star review yourself, the podcast with Pete Forsey, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Hit up the email, thepodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can add me on social media, 816-226-7483. Call or text line, leave a voicemail, play it right here on the show. Uh, And we, of course, will answer your questions verbally if you just want to post a message. Again, that phone number, 816-226-7483. Going to be heavy, heavy baseball predictions. And I'll, of course, get to my just overall uh, regular season standings and what I think is going to happen there. But going to get major into baseball as we got spring training in full swing. And we got guys on the fields playing games and inching closer to opening day. It's right around the corner. I cannot wait. Tell your friends the podcast will cover it. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys next week.